0: This is an ABC podcast.
1: Good morning and welcome to AM. I'm Kim Landers, coming to you from Gadigal Land. It's been revealed that the Albanese government's decision to impose COVID testing on travellers from China was done against the advice of the chief medical officer. Professor Paul Kelly wrote to the health minister on New Year's Eve saying he didn't believe there was a significant public health rationale to impose any restriction or additional requirements on travellers from China. And in the letter released late yesterday, he added that it was the strong consensus of state and territory chief health officers that any restrictions would be disproportionate to the risk. Meanwhile, as the latest COVID wave spreads through China and many of its workers get sick, the federal government's warning that there'll be substantial impacts on supply chains in Australia. Political reporter Claudia Long has more. With the enormous
2: scale of China's latest wave, economist Richard Dennis from the Australia Institute says the knock-on effects will be felt around the world.
3: There's no doubt that the the spread of COVID, not just in China, but within Australia and around the world, is a continuing risk to, to not just our economy, but to the global economy.
2: In the October federal budget, Treasury predicted a highly uncertain outlook for the global economy and flagged that a COVID outbreak in China could cause supply issues
3: the Treasury and others saw these risks on the horizon – But within uh, with months rather than years, there's not much the government can do to uh, to insulate Australia from uh, the consequences of of, of these kind of events.
2: Richard Dennis says years of manufacturing offshore, combined with Russia's invasion of Ukraine, COVID, and climate change, are exacerbating issues in supply chains.
3: We don't know which parts of the Chinese economy are going to get hit hardest by these things. Uh, Some manufacturers and and retailers in Australia are going to struggle to find stock.
2: Treasurer Jim Chalmers is warning Australians some impact here is inevitable.
3: Yeah, the COVID wave in
4: China is already having a substantial
3: impact on supply
4: chains and we expect that to get more difficult uh, before it eases. This COVID wave in China has got a little way to play yet and so it will have an ongoing impact uh, on supply chains in our economy. Uh, those That impact will be felt... Uh, really across the board because the relationship with China, the economic relationship, is so central to our own prospects.
2: It's a situation that's shaping up as a significant challenge for Australia.
4: The impact of COVID on China and on supply chains is one of the key risks to our economy in 2023.
2: But there is some cause for optimism. Richard Dennis says because of the disruption caused by COVID in recent years, we are more prepared than before for supply problems.
3: Parts of the economy have started to hold more stock in Australia, uh, less of the just-in-time production uh, and a bit more just-in-case approach to, to having spare parts, to having raw materials around. Uh, but again, Australia spent decades deliberately reducing our ability to produce key components Uh, we are still very vulnerable. If they catch COVID, the world sneezes and Australia, which is very exposed to the Chinese economy, it's a very big sneeze.
2: Paul's ally, director at the Freight and Trade Alliance and Peak Shippers Association, says from what he's seen so far, the impact of the outbreak on supplies has been minimal.
3: We've seen a lot of importers have moved to a just-in-case environment. So we find that many have got reasonably good stocks of, um, of products on shore,
2: though that's causing its own difficulties.
3: Our warehousing facilities around the country are pretty much at capacity. It's hard to find any space. Um, we've also got a shortage of pallets because we've got goods sitting uh, in stores on those on those pallets.
2: And he says the timing of the outbreak could be on the economy's side.
3: We've also got um, the import sector would have been well prepared. Uh, for the Chinese Lunar New Year that's coming up on the 22nd of January where a lot of the factories close down for a month anyway. Um, so if it was going to happen at any time, uh, this timing now is probably as good as any.
1: That's Paul Zalai from the Freight and Trade Alliance, ending that report from Claudia Long. As the world watches China's COVID surge, a new Omicron subvariant is sweeping through the United States, making up 40% of cases there. Experts suggest it's the most contagious of any COVID strain, but causes less severe disease. So should Australia
5: be asking travellers from the US to do COVID tests too? Any guest reports? The latest COVID wave in the US is being closely watched by Australian experts, including epidemiologist Adrian Esterman from the University of South Australia.
4: This sub-variant is taking over in America. It's doubled in case numbers in one week. It's gone from 20% of all cases in America to 40% in the last week.
5: He says data released by the US Centers for Disease Control and Prevention indicates the XBB.1.5 subvariant is less deadly than the Delta strain, but very highly contagious. It's emerged in the eastern United States and follows related XBB strains seen in other countries.
4: There's over 300 Omicron subvariants. Some obviously are much more transmissible than others, but this one appears to be by far the most transmissible to date.
5: What's the message in this news about the new subvariant for Australian authorities?
4: Well, I think potentially this could lead to um, uh, another wave, um, but we don't know because you can't really take what's happening in America and then say it's going to happen in Australia.
5: The new subvariant is likely already in Australia, according to Nigel McMillan, a professor of infectious diseases at Griffith University.
4: These new mutations gives it an advantage in terms of infectivity over previous strains, although the good news is it actually medically is not as problematic, for example, as the previous Delta strain, so we can still handle it fairly well in hospital. Uh, We certainly have antivirals that work against this new strain.
5: It comes as China battles a huge and deadly COVID outbreak that's prompted countries, including Australia, to increase border controls. From Thursday, travellers from China must have a negative COVID test in the 48 hours before departing for Australia. So should the federal government impose the same COVID controls on travellers from the US?
4: Look, I think there's so much COVID in our own community right now, it really probably doesn't make any difference. The only reason we're, I think we're testing Chinese passengers coming in is because we don't have an idea of any new variants that might be popping up there.
3: But
5: there are other public health measures, Professor McMillan says, Australia needs, after a year in which COVID claimed the lives of 17,000 people.
4: I think we've just finished a year in 2022 where COVID is going to be a number three or cause of deaths in the country. Uh, And so most of us is in our elderly population. So I think our settings right now put Probably feature or want to sort of concentrate on tightening our public responses around elderly and vulnerable people, particularly aged care homes.
5: Specifically, he wants the federal government to consider reintroducing mandatory COVID tests and masks for visitors to nursing homes. AM has sought a response from the government and the Aged and Community Providers Association, but we're yet to hear back.
1: Any guest reporting. <music>
5: In a rare admission,
1: Russia has conceded that more than 60 of its troops have been killed in a Ukrainian missile strike in the occupied region of Donetsk. It's the highest number of deaths acknowledged by Moscow in a single incident since the war began almost a year ago. Ukraine earlier claimed that 400 Russians had been killed when US-supplied missiles struck a temporary barracks building in Makivka. Guillaume Patak is a French journalist based in Ukraine.
3: But according to a number of, of Russian military bloggers and, and pro-Russian um, pro-Russian analysts, he was mentioning that basically uh, the Russians had been keeping recently freshly mobilized conscripts uh, and next to ammunition and vehicles. Um, I see that the Russian Ministry of Defence has given the figure of 63 people uh, killed. And 63 people killed for the Ministry of Defence, it's still a pretty big admission because usually they would say that one or two at most have died.
1: Meanwhile, as the war drags on, Ukrainian civilians continue to bear the brunt of the fighting. I spoke earlier to Catherine Green, World Vision's Response Director for Ukraine.
6: Unfortunately the scale of humanitarian need is is massive actually um Ukraine is not a small country um and when you look at the impact of this crisis um you know every single Household. Every single family has been impacted. So you have something like 6.5 million people internally di- displaced just within Ukraine, um, and then you have about 7.8 million people outside of Ukraine hosted in neighbouring uh, European countries or, or other countries. Um, so the need is is huge. I think the the last estimates from the UN were something like um, 17.5 million people in need of humanitarian assistance. So that. That something like seventy percent of the of uh, the population of Australia, going from not needing humanitarian aid to needing humanitarian aid in in the space of less than a year.
1: And the fighting is continuing. There are missile strikes uh, happening each day. What effect? What challenges are they posing?
6: Um, I mean, the the impact of these large scale nationwide missile strikes. Um, and the day-to-day um, fighting and missile strikes is huge. We're seeing hits to um, the electricity grid, to the heating, to the power systems. Um, and that is pushing people further into humanitarian need. Um, people that may have already been displaced from the fighting in the east, the front line, um, may be having to be you know, displacing a second or a third time um, because of the the loss of power, the loss of access to water. Um, in this time, where you know uh, temperatures are, are freezing at the moment, uh, dropping to well below uh, minus ten, sometimes up to minus twenty. So, you know, the impact of this ongoing uh, conflict is is multi pronged.
1: As you mentioned, the front line is constantly shifting. What other challenges uh, is that posing uh, for people? I would imagine that there would be a lot of military equipment or, or mines left behind.
6: Yeah, absolutely. So, as the front line is moving, as you said, um, you know, there's a there's a huge amount of mine contamination, um, and so before humanitarian organisations um, can even get to these communities, there needs to be some rapid demining happening, um, and that's obviously really difficult to do when the the ground is frozen. Um, there's a layer of snow on top. Uh, the distances are huge, um, so to get from some of the Areas where humanitarian organisations are, are stationed to these areas is difficult, um, and then to actually access those last mile communities is is really significant because the access just isn't there as that you know before that mine happens, and and those front lines are moving every day as the as the fighting continues. So there's you know the the, the odds that really stacked against um, humanitarian agencies to reach these people. Um, And the the odds are stacked against these communities to, you know, to continue to um, self-recover, to to access food, to access aid, to, you know, to continue to send their kids to school. Um, It's a really challenging context, especially in the East.
1: After almost a year of war, is fatigue a factor not only for the communities subjected to the fighting, but also for the aid workers uh, working for organisations like World Vision?
6: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think what what I always need to remember and what I think people need to remember is that when we talk about the workers in humanitarian organisations like World Vision, they are local Ukrainian people. They Uh, you know, for World Vision, um, up until the 24th of February, the people that are working with us now used to own bakeries. They were teachers. Um, They were working for multinational companies in the supply chain management team. People's lives have been disrupted as well. Most of the staff working for World Vision are personally impacted in one way or another. They might be internally displaced people themselves. Some of my staff have been displaced, um, you know, twice or three times. Um, many of them have their family living outside of the country seeking safety and they have decided to stay and, and work to support um, the humanitarian efforts. Um, and so absolutely these these um, people are, um, you know, they're getting fatigued. This this is dragging on um, and as, as with every conflict around the world, the civilian population suffer. So whether you are working for an NGO, whether you're not, whether you're on the front line, um, you know the civilian population is the one that is suffering, and is that, and is, um, and is, you know, for sure, um, becoming fatigued with um, with the ongoing grind of this conflict.
1: Catherine Green is World Vision's response director for Ukraine. Air safety inspectors will examine the wreckage of two helicopters that collided midair near SeaWorld on the Gold Coast, killing four people. Three others are in a critical condition in hospital. Our reporter Stephanie Smale is following the
5: story.
7: This tragedy happened at one of the busiest times on the Gold Coast, with this tourism destination just bustling with Christmas holidaymakers. So the two SeaWorld helicopters were carrying passengers for scenic or joy flights when they collided midair yesterday afternoon, and that happened near SeaWorld's popular theme park. Police say one was taking off and the other was coming down, causing one to plunge to the ground, and that ended up on its roof. The impact killed four people and three others are suffering life-threatening injuries with children among those who were injured. The other helicopter was damaged but managed to land safely. Now, because it's such a busy time on the Gold Coast, emergency crews actually battled to get through traffic to reach the scene. So police have thanked members of the public who rushed to help where they could. And
1: who is investigating the cause of this crash?
7: Police and the Australian Transport Safety Bureau, or ATSB, are investigating what went wrong. In a statement, the ATSB says investigators with experience in helicopter operations and maintenance from Brisbane and Canberra will be at the site this morning. They'll be looking at the wreckage of their choppers and they'll be mapping the site. Both police and the ATSB are asking any witnesses to come forward to help with that investigation, including any footage that might have been taken. In a statement, SeaWorld Helicopters says it's cooperating with police and the Safety Bureau, with the company saying it's shocked and sending deep sympathy to those involved and offering sincere condolences. The Prime Minister has paid tribute in a social media post, saying Australia has been shocked by the news and offering his deepest sympathies to those who are grieving. And Queensland's Premier Anastasia Palaszczuk, has described the collision
1: as an unthinkable tragedy. Stephanie Smale. Ex tropical cyclone Ellie continues to batter northern Australia with heavy rain and floods as the weather system slowly moves across WA's Kimberley region. Rising river levels have cut off the community of Fitzroy Crossing east of Broome, while in the Northern Territory, hundreds of millimetres of rain is being dumped across many stations to the delight of pastoralists. John Daly reports.
0: Onlookers can only watch as struggling cattle are swept down the fast-moving Fitzroy River in WA's Kimberley. Peter O'Halloran lives not far from the banks, and his home is already surrounded by floodwaters. I've never seen it this high. How long have you lived in Fitzroy for?
3: 45 years. It's pretty full on at the moment. I've even got kangaroos trying to get out the stairs at the moment to get out of the flood water, poor buggers.
0: Peter O'Halloran says the river rose much quicker than he expected, leaving him rushing to get his wife to safety.
3: i was probably starting to panic a little bit, especially for her, because she's got a buggy leg, so I just want to get her out of here. So I'm going to try and get the rescue boat over to try and cart her out.
0: The heavy rainfall has blocked major roads, and the Bureau of Meteorology has warned communities face isolation, and motorists may become trapped between locations due to rapidly rising floodways and overland flooding. Philip Hams works at Gogo Station to the south of Fitzroy Crossing. He says road access to the station will be cut off for as long as a week, but he's not complaining.
4: Actually, is actually is brilliant because in um, in November, there is the best part of 200 Mills. And then the, the first part of December, right up to the last uh, week, I suppose, um, it was fairly dry, fairly hot, and uh, and this we've we've had probably the best part of 300
0: mils over the last three days, four days, and the country's been bloody brilliant. It's a similar sentiment among top-end pastoralists across the border, where ex-tropical cyclone Ellie has already dumped hundreds of millimetres of rain on its path west. David Connolly runs Tipperary Station in the Northern Territory's Douglas Daly region. He says cattle stations were desperate for a drenching after several poor wet seasons. Pretty ordinary right through, probably for the last, you know, certainly the last two or three years, but maybe up to five years for some people. So um, this has been a good start and it's gone right through the Territory. Um, some some of the areas may have missed out, but you in know, in as a whole, on average, The Territory's had a fantastic start to the wet. Ex-tropical cyclone Ellie is moving slowly westward towards Broome, but the Bureau of Meteorology says it could track back towards WA's interior and even into the NT later in the week. There's also a slight risk the system may reach the coast and re-intensify to tropical cyclone strength. Where other tropical lows tend to wane as they move across land, senior meteorologist Rebecca Patrick says Ellie has kept its strength.
4: Yeah,
7: sometimes these low pressure systems do seem to have a bit of a mind of their own and go for a a bit of a stroll across northern Australia. So this one has uh, persisted across the Northern Territory and, and Western Australia for
1: now over a week.
0: Authorities are warning people in Broome to brace for gale force winds and intense rainfall possibly leading to flooding from tomorrow morning.
1: John Daly reporting and that is for Today. Thanks for your company. I'm Kim Landers.
0: You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.